Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and I was thrilled to welcome back to Pairing Christopher Dole to discuss Episode 5 of Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Now, I didn't plan this, but it turns out that today, as I'm recording, and yesterday, as you're maybe listening to this, was apparently the 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back. And so what a perfect time to be talking about what a terrific film this is. I had tons of fun talking about it with Christopher, and if you're looking to listen to something after this, you should absolutely go listen to Arden, season two of which is coming out soon. So now is a great time to catch up. You can find links to Arden and their Indiegogo in the show notes. It's one of my favorite audio dramas, or audio comedies, dramedies, and so I cannot recommend it enough. Thank you so much to our patrons, and especially our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Allison Turi, and Jacob Penfold, all of whom are as magical as Yoda, and to our master producer, Michael Beck, whom the Force is definitely always with. If you would like to join these stellar folks, come join us over at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can get access to all sorts of extras starting at just $1 a month. I don't have much else to say right now, except that I hope that you're all staying safe and well. If your states and cities are opening up, please be careful, wear masks, drink lots of wine, and may the Force be with you. Without further ado, here is episode 64. The Empire Strikes Back, with Christopher Dole. All right, well, I am so thrilled to have back on pairing Christopher Dole, who you may remember from our John Williams episode, and or episodes, I should say. And this is sort of a continuation of part of that conversation because Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about what I believe is both of our favorite Star Wars film, The Empire Strikes Back. Hey. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you so much for having me back for... Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, this is for... Hell of a hell of a movie. <laughs> it is it is a hell of a movie. We were we were just saying, you know, we're mm-hmm. we're just talking about, you know, being in quarantine and how mm-hmm. crazy a time this is right now. Uh but you know, at least we're not, you know, being taken over by a Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah well, I'm just gonna I'm uh... just gonna dot dot Dot. <laughs> well, yeah, dot, 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 dot as the class, yeah, as yeah. the end of yeah, every we'll, crawl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll uh, see how, how much life imitates art. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I went to rewatch it last night. First line uh-huh. of the crawl, it is a dark time for the rebellion. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> just, uh, <Yep. laughs> just going to rip that Band-Aid right off there. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, yep, and it is indeed a dark time for the Rebellion right now. Mm-hmm. But this is, I I personally think, mm-hmm. I mean, part of why it's my favorite movie may just it, not be entirely nostalgia, but, like, nostalgia is definitely a big part of why I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just, to me, it is the most cohesive 
mm-hmm. independent Star Wars film, in my opinion. I'm very curious to hear yeah. what you think. Um, yeah. So, so to me, this film is really the the code the codifier of what we think of as Star mm-hmm. Wars. This is, I agree. yeah, it's the one that sort of makes it the sort of generational story that has lasted through the rest of the series by introducing the twist of mm-hmm. that it makes it about the sort of older generation having tried and failed and now the younger generation discovering their mistakes and mm-hmm. sort of being conf- being forced to confront that and realize this isn't just some evil that is like blind and impersonal right. it is a deeply personal thing it is uh, it is like our parents struggle that they tried to make a better galaxy and failed and went to the dark side and now it's up to us to right. fix it Ooh, this is feeling way too relevant to <laughs> yeah. our life right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All uh, boomers are Vader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so, I, I don't actually mean that. But <laughs> uh, um, love you, mom. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, then it also is the one that introduces the storytelling structure that most of them mm. follow, which is that there's sort of a Jedi storyline and then a normal mm-hmm. folks storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it really is the first one to dig into what the Force actually is. Like, it's even, yes. it's even like the first time, like, and it sort of like, it's actually really funny because if you look at... A New Hope, with mm-hmm. first off, for, with a few minor tweaks, that film could stand on its own. Absolutely, like, yeah. Even with like some of the exposition, it's like, oh, the Death Star, the Empire's power is broken with the destruction of the Death Star, and everyone right. lives happily ever after. Right, right. And, and I think at one mm-hmm. point that that like was a possibility that yeah, if the that, film that was going to be a standalone film. Yeah, um, yeah. But then it, it was so wildly popular that George yeah. Lucas was like, okay, I'll, I'll make it a, which, a trilogy. Yeah, which leads to a sort of a few interesting behind-the-scenes stories about yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the film, which, for one thing, th- this is actually the case for every single Star Wars film, uh-huh. but production on Empire was a train wreck. <laughs> I, of, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. I mean, yeah. I've I've heard I've heard a lot of the stories about A New Hope, but I don't think I've heard any like I or I can't recall any specifically about production on this one. So I'm curious to hear what what you know. Well, first off, uh, the original screenwriter Lee Brackett died after turning in her first draft. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I did know that. I did know that. Yes. Yeah. So that happened. Uh, mm-hmm. When they were building sets uh, in London for filming, uh, uh-huh. next door to where they were filming was The Shining. And one day, oh, wow. a massive fire breaks out on the sets of The Shining and oh my God. consumes most of the Empire oh, set. No. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Filming 
went way over schedule and uh-huh. budget. Like the budget went from eighteen million to thirty three million. Um, like Lucas, which back in back in nineteen eighty, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it's one of the highest budgeted films of its time. Yeah, uh, yeah. like Lucas had attempted to fund the whole thing himself but the overruns meant that he had to go back to 20th century fox and re to renegotiate which if this film had failed like lucasfilm and ilm and all of them would have just gone belly up uh-huh. um uh-huh. like right right yeah and there was really a sort of like inter it wasn't a quite warfare between uh the film's director Irvin Kirshner and Gary Kurtz, the producer, and uh-huh. Lucas, um, because like Kirshner and Kurtz were kind of pushing budget, pushing the budget and pushing production further and further as they were trying to get it as good as possible. And Lucas right. being the guy whose companies are all like tied all up at in, stake. Yeah. yeah, he's like, <laughs> come on, guys, please, please yeah. deliver this on time yes. and on budget. Yes. <laughs> <And> <laughs> There's also, I I do know the, the story, mm-hmm. I guess this was before production began, or maybe during production, but mm-hmm. Mark Hamill got in that awful car accident or motorcycle yes. accident. And that's why he's got that scar on his face in yeah. the first scenes. Yeah, and there was actually originally supposed to be a lot of stuff with the Wampas like invading the mm. rebel base themselves before the Empire oh, really? even shows up. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, but like and part of the budget overruns were because they could never get that to look good. Because right, the, the costumes right. they had for the Wampas looked really terrible. It all yeah, looked yeah. cheesy. And this was supposed to be like a major sequence. That, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, that sounds that sounds miserable. <laughs> yeah. yeah like <laughs> all filming, of those things. Yeah, filming in Norway in the middle of blizzards was awful like yep doesn't sound great (laughs) yeah the dagobah set was a nightmare to work oh i believe oh i believe that i bet it was a total nightmare yeah um but one of the things i wanted to mention was we get yoda in this movie yes i mean come on which is one of the most impressive magic tricks in cinema absolutely Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. it just, it just, I have a feeling you agree, um, mm-hmm. as most of us do, but it just ruined it for me in the prequels yeah. when Yoda was CGI. Mm-hmm. It just did not, just did not work for did me. Did not. I genuinely so deeply dislike him with the lightsaber jumping around. Yep. Yep. Like, yep. That um, might be my least favorite thing in the prequels. <laughs> I know, I know that you are not alone with that. Yeah, it's it's not. I don't think it bothered me like quite as much as it bothered many many people that I've mm-hmm. talked to. But it it just just Yoda generally in the in mm-hmm. the prequels just just didn't didn't work for me because it's not it's not the same. It's yeah, not the same. you need you need the puppet. You need mm-hmm. Frank Oz. Uh, I mean, I know Frank Oz did the voice, but, yeah. um, but perform- as I understand, mm-hmm. y- yeah, like he was one of the puppeteers of Yoda oh, yes. as well. Yes, yeah. and his vocal performance, is, he always says, is so deeply tied to the physicality of Absolutely. puppeteering the character. 
and also just in terms of the writing, the way that mm-hmm. Yoda is written in this film is just astonishing. Cause, so good. Like you've got the playfulness and the compassion, and yet, like, and then everything he says about the Force has such it has actual mythic weight. Absolutely, what he says yeah. feels like it matters. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, do or do not. There is no try. There, mm-hmm. like, these are these are classic lines of mm-hmm. like almost almost a mythical cultural level now in our mm-hmm. society. You know. Yeah, it feels like ancient, hard-earned wisdom. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, it does. And yeah, yeah the, like the moment where he lifts the X-wing is so much more impressive and powerful than yeah. like so many like big CGI like displays yeah. of power or whatever. There's yeah, just a ab- simplicity to it. Absolutely. Um, so just to just to tie in mm-hmm. um, a little wine, a little. Well, I you know for 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 the Star Wars movies generally and and for this one as well, mm-hmm. uh, instead of rather than pairing like specific wines with them, um, mm-hmm. and I may do a little of that, but like I'm more thinking in terms of like wine concepts that apply. Um, and one thing that I think really applies to this movie on many levels is the idea of we often talk in the wine industry about a wine being in balance Hmm. and um and i think that that applies you know sort of conceptually to star wars obviously because of the force (laughs) yeah um you know this little this Mm -hmm. little uh, this little concept but um but i also think it applies to this movie particularly with everything we've been talking about because i do feel like in many ways this movie is the best balanced mm-hmm. of of the Star Wars movies like or at least of the original trilogy mm-hmm. um and because like I I mean I love a new I mean I love both A New Hope and um Return of the Jedi but mm-hmm. they both feel like a little there are parts that are just like a little out yeah. of sync or like way overdone or yeah. like you're building the story. So it feels a little choppy. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, yeah. In a new hope, it's an incredible film, but you can definitely yeah. feel like, like, okay, we are, uh, we're shoot. We're using every single thing we shot. Right. This. Yep. We, particularly, <laughs> we have no room for error. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so, and yeah. And then in return of the Jedi, there's a lot I like in that film. To yes. me, it feels like it's got a great first act. Mm-hmm. It hits a brick wall of yep. like just a dead stop. And then it manages to go around the wall for like the third act. But there right. is so much of that film where it's like, wow, nothing what is, is happening. What is even happening? Yeah, yep. there's like no <laughs> character development. There's like, like, yep. we're, like basically, it's almost like no one except Luke and Vader get to be get to have character arcs for two thirds of that movie. Yep. Yep. I would say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And so that being said, I think that empire is Mm -hmm. the best movie, best standalone movie. Um, And again, I may be biased because I've said this before Mm -hmm. on a couple other star Wars episodes, but I actually saw this movie first because Mm. 
I it my parents took me to see it when they did the theatrical re release. Yes. Um yes. in theaters. <laughs> and uh and I guess they decided to just bring me there and not show me a new hope beforehand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <It's> interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why they did that, but I yeah. I, I, I I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I think I was like seven or eight, mm-hmm. maybe. That I think that's when they. Yeah, yeah, it was early did. 97, beginning of 97. Yeah. yeah, so I would have been seven. So, and, and I think it says a lot about this movie that as a seven year old, I was able to like come into the movie and like understand who everybody was, even mm-hmm. though there's not like a ton of exposition of like, Leia, remember when you did the thing? You know, like there mm-hmm. there isn't a lot of that. You just kind of like thrown into the action a little bit, but it's it's so well written and so mm-hmm. well constructed that like you totally get what's going on and you get the world. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It just sort of jumps right into it like sort of time has organically passed and yes. like the relationships have matured and but you're still completely able to just jump right in. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and so just to circle back a little bit to the, this this concept of a wine being in balance, mm. um, the, you know, I mean, there's certain ineffable kind of qualities in wine, just as there are in art and film mm-hmm. and everything, where sometimes you you see something or you hear something or you taste something and you're just like, oh my God, that's amazing. And sometimes you don't need to even like break it down into its component parts and be like, what did Mm -hmm. I love about this? Um, But to say that a wine is in balance means that there's these four elements that are well-balanced. So um, those being acid, tannin, sugar, and alcohol. Mm -hmm. So in theory, a great winemaker will know how to... Uh, you know, make a wine that has all of those four elements in balance because they all have some amount of those four things. Um, and I, one of the most fun kind of geeky wine things I ever did was mm-hmm. um, we had a a master psalm named Doug Krennic uh, who came and get, did a little workshop for us at the store I used to work at. And he basically brought like each of those elements kind of distilled Mm-hmm. Um, so I forget what he brought that had like very high acid, but you know, it was, it, it, I think it was just like some kind of acid that he dropped into water. So like you can taste what, what acidity tastes like. Mm. And then like some, some tea that had been steeped really long. So you get that tannic feeling. Cause that's what tannin is. Mm-hmm. If you like steep a black tea bag way too long and it's really bitter like that. That's a really great way to describe tannin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sugar, obviously, like a little sugar water. And then uh, alcohol, like some vodka or something. And he had us play around with, like, mixing the four things and, and like, figuring out, oh, if you distill these all these things into their, like, component parts, how do you get that balance? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's a kind of nice analogy for filmmaking, but also for you know art in any sense oh, but absolutely like, but like as you, as you were talking about like to make a great film all these things have to be in balance and there's obviously way more than four 
components, but like the writing, the acting, the production, you know, mm-hmm. everything, everything, the cinematography, like everything oh, yeah. has to kind of be synchronous, <laughs> synchronistic. Is that, is that a word? possibly well we can say it is now who's let's say it is let's say it is now i love english like who will (laughs) we're having a pandemic people don't don't correct me on my vocabulary okay yeah yeah we could we could create our own vocabulistics however we want exactly exactly yeah um no you're absolutely right about and about this film in particular being so well balanced Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with like i want to actually particularly point out because you mentioned them the production design and cinematography of this film and like the like they may have went over budget but with the production design boy did it go to good use because there's just such a there's a generosity to how yeah. this film is designed, where everything really does feel like just a tiny corner of a big, of a much larger world that does exist mm-hmm. just off mm-hmm. screen. Yeah. Which, yeah, for something this fantastical, that's <laughs> impressive to pull off. <laughs> right. And I do think that you get that a little bit more with this film than with A New Hope. With A New Hope, it's mostly on Tatooine, and um, am, am I right? Am I right? Yeah, about it's that? it's Tatooine. It's basically Tatooine and the Death Star. Exactly, and and so and like space. So yeah. you get the sense that yes, we're in a big world, but this is really the film where you're like, oh my goodness, this is a huge world, mm-hmm. and and. And you're right, like every little every little scene, every little corner of it, you're getting mm-hmm. the sense that this is a a huge universe that has been built and really fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the cinematography also does mm-hmm. such a great mm-hmm. job of that. It's so it's such an effective use of color as well. Mm-hmm. You've got the very stark mm-hmm. white for Hoth. You've got mm-hmm. the sunset colors of Cloud City, the uh like yeah. the great organic colors of Dagobah and the use of color to suggest that ki- that sense of uh-huh. space mm-hmm. and ongoing environment and <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah mm-hmm. and and you mentioned uh, Cloud City that was the other thing mm-hmm. I wanted to mention we obviously get Cloud City but also Lando Calrissian oh, yeah. in this movie uh, um, definitely I'm sure has a very extensive wide list. Yes. Yes. There's 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 so many things in this movie that just like to me make it like the the iconic Star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And and so just to um, bring in one one other more slightly more concrete wine relation, um, Mm. I was thinking about it and I was like, so like. Thinking about the the three films, the the original three films, and being like, okay, within certain wine regions, I think you can like give each movie its its own type of wine. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the first one that came to mind, of course, because uh, Italian wine is my favorite. I I was like, A New Hope is like Chianti, 
Empire Strikes Back is like a Brunello because it's much smoother. Mm-hmm. And and Return of the Jedi is like a super Tuscan because those can sometimes be they're they're fabulous wines, but they're like way more intense and a little more over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, which I would say uh the the last or I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing that I I apologize I'm gonna say the last Jedi when I mean Return of the Jedi <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've been doing it constantly but yeah but like that was one that came to mind and um and then in like the Rhone Valley in France New Hope is like a Cote because it's mm-hmm. younger and Empire Strikes Back is is like a, a Vaquera which which is one of my favorite wines from the Rhone Valley, but it's a red mm-hmm. wine and they're all blends of like Grenache, Syrah, and usually Mouved or some other kind of weird grapes in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Return of the Jedi is a Chateauneuf de Pop because Chateauneuf de Pops tend to be like really oaky and, mm. and <laughs> really like intense and fruity. Um, and so mm. like, again, Forest over world. The top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say, I would say Return of the Jedi it has a lot of uh, over the top and very, you know, intense fruit and a little too oaky sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that that sounds about right. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was just those were just some more some more thoughts that I had. But but just generally, you know, and just. I think there are people who who might disagree with like hard hardcore Star Wars fans who might disagree with us. Like I know people who mm-hmm. love A New Hope, and that to them that is like their iconic Star Wars movie. Oh yeah, yeah. This was this was a very controversial film in fandom when it came out. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. a lot of you can if you. I'm sure people have time to kill right now. They can, if they're curious, yeah. they can Google what like the initial like fanzines and internet reaction to Empire yeah. was. It was yeah. I'm curious to hear very reminiscent of some things we've seen. Yeah, the- <laughs> I I'd believe it. I'd believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people don't like when they when they get so. I, one thing that I've I talked about like with Brandon Grugel when we mm-hmm. were talking about Solo, um, and I've talked with Winston about on some of the other episodes, mm-hmm. are that you know Star Wars fandom is both the best and the absolute worst fandom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would say depending depending on who exactly you're talking about, but but like. To feel this ownership over mm-hmm. over this story, which I understand, you know, f- like feeling invested in something. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're like a crazy racist misogynist and and you f- are unhappy mm-hmm. with <laughs> with uh, what happened in in some of the more recent movies, then uh, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And it's such an interesting thing to think about the responsibility of Mm. making a film of this scale that has touched so many people so deeply and what i think the best ones of this series do and this one most certainly does is that it focuses in so minutely on the characters Mm -hmm. and absolutely actually makes them tick what is going to challenge them and like how will they 
they grow. Like in this film, Luke is forced to examine the sort of simplicity of the hero narrative that he's built for himself. Where like, I want to be a Jedi because of my father, but I don't know what actually be what being a Jedi actually means. And right. it turns out my father's story is much more complicated. Yeah. And yeah. like Han and Leia, they're sort of like Han is being challenged with like, what is the thing that will make him think about something more than himself? And what mm-hmm. is the thing that is going to make Leia think about life beyond the rebellion? Turns out it's right. each other. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And even like Vader is given a problem he can't just kill. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Um, and I and I did want yeah I wanted to circle back to to that discussion and and what you were saying about um, you know the complexity of of like feeling how you know that this younger generation is recognizing the failure mm-hmm. of their their parents essentially um, mm-hmm. and 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 just like that moment with Vader and how. Obviously, it's Vader is maybe the most mm-hmm. you know iconic character from all of Star Wars. I mean, you mm-hmm. could argue, um, but I think part of that is because starting in this movie, you start to see him not just as this unstoppable force of evil, but um, but actually as like human, mm-hmm. um, and that and that's that's developed more in in the next movie obviously but but you start to realize that he's got he's got motivations that go beyond just and a history that go beyond just i am evil and want to kill everybody Mm -hmm. Um, and that's and it's a thing that is so well balanced in this film like that incredible moment where you know the piet walks in on him in his meditation chamber and you see his head from behind yes and it's like up until that point you don't know if like vader's a robot or like what's going on with him and they're like oh my god what happened to him yeah shit yep (laughs) yep yeah and i mean i'm not sure what i thought when i saw it for that first time and i you know because mm-hmm. Vader is just, you know, a pervasive, you know, idea in in all of mm-hmm. our heads. Um, like to then have that moment and be like, whoa, this guy's human? What? Mm-hmm. Like what happened? Yeah, it's really, it's really compelling. And I think mm-hmm. that was pretty, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can make a blanket statement, but I feel like that's, that's pretty innovative for a sci-fi mm-hmm. film of this magnitude at that time to Mm -hmm. like introduce that more complex concept of morality and it not Mm -hmm. being as simple as good versus evil. Yeah. Yeah. And they knew, they knew it was a huge risk when, (laughs) when they did it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's actually a story about um, Lucas talking to a, child psychologist about the effect that that reveal and cutting luke's hand off would have on the younger audience (laughs) yeah well that's that's surprisingly responsible oh yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and yeah i think what he was told and what ended up playing out was that at the time i guess kids under 10 would 
be like, oh, he's lying. And then kids over right. 10 would accept it and be like, hmm, oh. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. And also, I just want to say about this twist, yeah. the reason that I think it still holds up and is still so powerful, even like 40 years after the yeah. original film, is because it works on a it works on a character level, not just a plot level. It yes. adds so much to both Luke and Vader. Mm-hmm. And um, that's it pushes both of them out of the the zone that we'd been comfortable seeing them in and the zone that they were comfortable in. And it right. challenges both of them. Yes. Um, and that's one anecdote that I that I have heard and um, you can maybe verify whether this you've heard this or not as well. Mm-hmm. But I heard that they they had a like a fake script mm. um, and where it the line was, no, Obi-Wan killed your father or something like that. And and like so they were pretending that that was going to be the twist. Um, yes. To everybody except, oh, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting the actor who played Vader, obviously not James Earl Jones, but who played the body of Vader. Uh, um, the, the only one who knew was Mark Hamill. Yeah. Well, I think they, and I think they just told Mark Hamill, like, like, right before they yes. shot the scene. Yes, that is that is correct. Yeah. And um and then they gave James Joel Jones the real line and actually he said Obviously. in interviews he, he he said in interviews that he thought Vader was lying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, you can't don't get that read from the film but No, you don't. You don't. Uh, but that's uh, interesting that that's what he thought. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, and his and his performance in that oh incredible moment, yeah it's like between him and Oz this film has two of the greatest like voice performances yeah, absolutely. in absolutely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is funny that Mark Hamill then became yeah uh, one of the best voiced actors of our generation or most yeah. prolific at least and. Um, mm-hmm. And only recently has been starting to do like big, big live action, yeah, um, stuff again. Yeah, uh, and I think he actually deserves a lot of credit for this. Absolutely, film. absolutely. Yeah. I know people like to rag on Mark Hamill mm-hmm. in, in some of his performances in in the earlier films, but I mm-hmm. think he's great. Yeah, and in this one in particular, so much of his part is against a puppet. Yes, Yoda doesn't absolutely. Bo- yeah, Yoda doesn't work unless Mark Hamill is completely invested in those absolutely. scenes. And yep. he is. He is hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, no, you're so you're so right. That's that's a really good point to bring up. Um, yeah, no, this this would just fail utterly if. Mark Hamill or if somebody else were playing Luke did not mm-hmm. commit 100% to that. Mm-hmm. And he really he really does. He really does. 
And yeah, I get the, you know, the, oh, that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a little, it's a little over the top, but hey, it's Star Wars. Come on. Yeah. How would, it's... how would you react if you thought your worst enemy was your father? Yeah. And, <laughs> and he had just chopped your head off. And right. you're, basically your options are either to probably commit suicide or go yep. with him and go yep. to the dark side and become everything you hate it. And like. Yep. Intense moment. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intense moment. Yeah. Um, and also, speaking of production design, the the design of that whole scene mm-hmm. um, again, like so iconic and brilliant. Yeah. And just perfect for for that for that moment. Mm-hmm. Just the yeah the immensity and just the cold mechanical nature of it, where Luke is the only living thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's brilliantly done. And, um, you know, they mm-hmm. may have gone over budget, but I think it was worth say, it. <laughs> it's safe to say it was worth it. And they probably mm-hmm. got got it back in, in, in many, yeah. <laughs> many fold. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. Also, I believe this is changing subject a little bit, but another, another kind of anecdote that I heard another one of the most iconic lines in this film is obviously, I love you, I know. Um, mm-hmm. And that, as I understand it, was Harrison Ford riffing a little bit. Because I think the original line was like, I love you too. This could be apocryphal. Yeah. This could be false. It, uh, that is true. That is. Yeah. That, that Harrison Ford was like, no, this doesn't work. And I, th- yeah. I think it was sort of in agreement amongst everybody. And they were like, okay, well, you just, you know, improvise it or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true, but it, but... it is. It is. Actually, um, speaking of the special editions, uh, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the first, well, the first piece of Star Wars merchandise I owned was the, the two disc soundtrack scores that yes. came out with the special edition of. We'll we'll circle back to that later. Yes, I wanted to, want to talk about that for sure. Yeah, but the second thing my parents got me was a book called Star Wars: The Annotated Screenplays Ooh. that walked through each draft of the wow. original films, and like for for that line, there were about five different things that they tried to draft. They tried, I love you too, which they thought was weak. They tried something like, just remember that because I'll be back. Like, Uh (laughs) like, a couple of variations on that. And then um, on the day he forward ad-libbed, I know, and Lucas was somewhat dubious. That it right. was going to work. Yeah. And then when they <laughs> and then when they screened it for audiences, they heard like people coming out of the theater talking about what an incredible line that was. Yeah. And yeah. They were like, well, I, I guess that worked. <laughs> I guess that's the one. I guess yeah. that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's so perfect. Yeah. And we should probably talk a bit about the Han Leia. Yeah, yeah, we should probably talk about that. Um, because that is important. Yeah, uh, and that's it's it's wild that for all of like the grand sort of space opera scope mm-hmm. of these films, this film, from so much of it, is so tiny. 
that mm, it's mm-hmm. like a guy, a Muppet, and a robot on a, in a yep. swamp, <laughs> and then yep. this the love connection that's happening on this spaceship like the politics of the empire and the rebellion are just all out the window yes they're the backdrop yeah it's just these two things and this love story has equal weight to Mm -hmm, all of the fate of the galaxy force stuff and yeah and it's it's right it has the same it's like this is in this moment this is what is important this is what is the most important thing yes and um, I don't know if you have read or I listened to um, Carrie Fisher's last book, which she wrote, which were, mm-hmm. uh, well, it was like her her journals that she kept during mm-hmm. the filming of A New Hope. And so she talks about her affair with Harrison Ford mm-hmm. in that in that uh, journal. And so watching and but that had ended by. Mm-hmm the time they were filming this movie and were making this movie. Um, but I always just think about that now when I, when I rewatch it and mm-hmm. um, not, not to say that, it, that you would know any of that from, from either of their performances, but it is like, there's, there is this just like beautiful connection between these, these two characters mm-hmm. and who fit each other so well, you know, despite being, very different but but yeah like both being as you said earlier both being the thing that each other needs to like get over what they're obsessed with Mm -hmm. Um, in han solo's case himself and in leia's case the rebellion and not to say they get over it but like Mm -hmm. find find a space for something that makes them happy um and that's and that's really important and that's such an important part of star wars Mm -hmm. And that is something that I think, like, I really like a lot about the new trilogy. Mm-hmm. But the one one of the things where I think it failed was trying to create a romance. Yeah. As powerful as Han and Leia. Yes, I <laughs> am not a fan of where certain romantic relationships went i will put Me it like that too i Me too <laughs> i know there are very dedicated fans who enjoy certain pairings sure I, are sure are <laughs> i disagree i uh, do as well yeah and i will put it like that <laughs> yes yes i um i We'll just say that I agree with you as well um, and was very, very disappointed with at least that particular storyline in Mm -hmm. Rise of Skywalker, Mm -hmm. particularly. Yeah, but I will say the Han and Leia relationship, on the other hand. It's perfect because it's not forced, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, again, talking about what the choices that they made Mm -hmm. in in the the new trilogy felt so forced and mm-hmm. so to speak <laughs> um, <Yeah>. and <laughs> and han and leia just like feels organic and makes sense you know mm-hmm. and and is able to be powerful without being like over the top mm-hmm. you know it's just like like you said like there's this whole backdrop of the the empire and corruption and the 
force and everything like that. But for them, it just it could just be like a love story in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And they're both like so good and they're both so good at bringing out the sort of the best and worst in each yes. other as performers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and like in terms of like just bringing out that sort of spiky conflict and it's like it's the ideal of that kind of argumentative sexual tension in a yes, relation absolutely. in a cinematic relationship. And and you know props must be given to Carrie Fisher and Harrison mm-hmm. Ford as well um cuz they are both just perfect um mm-hmm. at bringing that out in each other at least on film. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, at least on film. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um as I understand it they they ended up pretty amicably. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just it's just so fun to watch both of them and like they're they're so well matched and and it's just so much fun to watch them. Mhm. Yeah, cuz it's it's great in how they in how successfully they deflate each other mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yet both of them knows that's what they the thing that they need is someone who can do that. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and just going back to as again saying how balanced this is, you know, it's it's hard in stories like you know, one of my personal favorites, obviously, Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. um, I think does a pretty good job of it as well. But, like, when you have a cohesive core cast of characters that are mostly together and then they split off, it's mm-hmm. hard to care about – it's hard to construct the story so that you care about each of those stories equally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that this this movie really does that. You know, you mm-hmm. care just as much about Luke and Yoda as you do about Leia and Han. And those two storylines go together really well. Yeah, absolutely. And like you even sort of get invested, you get invested in what's going on with Vader. And like... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that too. Yeah, that's that's sort of the other main storyline. And, and you mm-hmm. do. And that that is equally compelling. And that's and I think that's a tricky thing to do. Uh, just in terms of constructing a script. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. I, would, I wouldn't know from experience because I've never, you know, done that personally, but it oh, seems I, like a tough thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I could say from experience, it is yes. <laughs> It's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, because just as the world gets bigger, it's hard. It's hard to keep it in balance. And yeah, you have all these different masters that you have to keep serving and this movie i would say does it a lot better than as we were talking about the next movie does Mm -hmm. not to say i don't love return of the jedi but it it just doesn't feel as well in balance right (laughs) well i guess um i i had one last wine thing because i Mm. wanted to pair some wines with our with our main trio sure luke leia and han for luke I was like, well, Luke in this movie is like a a great wine, but that is uh, that you're drinking and you can tell it's a little too young. Mm. So like certain certain wines like 
like red burgundies and Barolos from Italy. Like those are wines that infamously, you know, you can let those age pretty much forever. And and you want to let them age as much as possible before you drink them. And that's not to say that if you drink them when they're young, they're not good. Mm. But when you drink them, you're like, oh, I wish I'd waited like five years for this. And I feel like that's Luke in this movie is like, yeah. he's a great wine, but he's not quite ready. Yet. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, yeah. That hits the nail on the head. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then, and then Leia, I feel like Leia is just like consistently awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say that she doesn't have like character development and ups and downs, but she's, I feel like she'd be more of a wine that's like, pretty consistent and you can trust that it's going to be good like Mm -hmm. no matter how old it is or where or like where you are or what you're eating you know like it's just going to be a good wine and to me those wines that I just like are my go-tos and that I trust Mm -hmm. are um I love Oregon Pinot Noir I have Uh, one right now actually oh oh my god it's perfect (laughs) I I feel like we talked about Oregon Pinot with the John Williams yes. uh, episode as well. It's yeah. just it's it's just one and, of my favorites. And I mean that's that's what you suggested for uh for Arden. <laughs> yes, I did I did a I did a pairing for for Arden podcast and uh I stand by that. I think that's a great <laughs> I think that is a great pairing. They're so reliable. I don't have to necessarily recognize the label to to know that it's going to be good, which is kind of how I feel about Leia. I feel like Leia's always got my back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and then this one is kind of funny, and I don't know if it's a perfect analogy or not. But for mm-hmm. Han, I feel like Han kind of peaks in this movie. Yes, and is is his best in this movie. Not to say that he's not delightful, you know, in mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi, but like in terms of like balancing his humor and his ego and his selflessness i feel like this is kind of Mm -hmm. han's movie yeah and so for that um to me that is like drinking a really great white wine before Mm. it starts to fall off um so white wine is a little bit trickier than red wine because you know with some exceptions like at a certain point, white wine, like, starts losing its integrity, and so you do want to drink it before it gets too old. Um, mm-hmm. And so I feel like Han is, like, like a, a dry Riesling or something hmm. from, from Alsace or something like that, which, like, you're drinking it at its perfect moment in this movie. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, if you, if you were to wait just a little bit longer to drink that wine, it wouldn't be quite as good. It would lose mm-hmm. some of its vibrancy or something like that. I, mm-hmm. It's not a perfect, I'm not like totally happy with that um, analogy. I can, can definitely. But I kind of like, I kind of like the, how, how Luke and Han are kind of opposites. In yeah. This. In, in yeah. terms of their wine, wine pairings, at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then Lando is just the smoothest wine. The smoothest <laughs> possible wine. <Yeah. laughs> well, well, Lando, he's like the smoothest possible wine, like on the palate. But then some yeah. wines, like after you've 
swallowed them, then you get like another note of something or like a little hint of something. And and so that's perfect for Lando (laughs) Mm -hmm. because because you he's all smooth on the surface, but there's Mm -hmm. a little bit more going on to him. Yeah. So and I you know, that's not like a specific wine. That's just the sign of a of a cool, complex wine if you get that Mm kind of like secondary note to it after you've actually drunk it. Sure. Um, yeah, so that's Lando. And then, uh, I don't know, I keep trying to think. Vader's so hard, so mm-hmm. hard to pair to pair a wine with. Sure. <laughs> so I'm going to have to think about that one a little bit more. But I yeah. did want to circle back to you because you mentioned, just to tie all of our mm-hmm. conversations together, um, you mentioned that you got the two-disc soundtrack. Yes. For this, and I wanted to to yes. just see what see what you had to say about that. I legitimately wore out the CD for the second <laughs> half of that album because this is this score is John Williams' crowning achievement mm-hmm. as a composer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. As, first off, uh, the big thing that this score does uh-huh. it introduces the imperial march yep yep that's right that's right yeah not in the first film that's right comes in full force yep in this and it is just a perfect tonal balance of like evil whimsicality like there's yeah. just that like cuz it's just this very like tight contained like rigid decisive piece of music that's very simple like small intervals a lot of chromaticism and tritones to up the darkness but there's still that sort of sense of fun and pomp and grandeur to it and it's it's the most used theme in the film it just musically dominates the entire palette of it and it's just an incredible achievement oh yeah yeah and then like you've got Yoda's theme, which is also has that whimsicality, but also is just so serene and hopeful. And the sort of these the interval leaps that add this sense of aspirational wisdom and centeredness to it. And it's it's no surprise that like having seen Williams conduct a lot over the years and hearing him talk about these pieces mm-hmm. when he conducts them. Yoda's theme is like one of his two or three favorites that mm, he's ever written. Mm, like he mm. loves this piece. That makes that I believe it. Yeah, and it's like and it's such and it's again so well deployed and like when it first comes in in when it first like really comes in in the scene where Yoda sort of reveals himself and is like, for 800 years have I trained Jedi. Mm. And you just get that incredible sense of just wisdom and power and warmth to, mm-hmm. to Yoda. And then of course the, and then like when it reaches its peak in the scene where he lifts the X-wing, it's, yeah. Like it, it is like this is what magic musically sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, like you've got, and then you get also like the theme for 
the the Han Solo and the Princess theme, which yeah. is this like gorgeous. It's an evolution of Leia's theme from the original film. Right. It's, it starts off with the same uh, ascending sixth interval, but then moves off in a sort of completely different direction with this sort of bittersweet skepticism and yearning. And then when that reaches its peak in the carbon freezing yeah. chamber sequence, it's so like just swooningly romantic and tragic. So and- powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like the asteroid field, which yeah. like what just like the best action cue ever written. Which yeah. is like and then also the the thing that I really have to sh- shout out is the final track of the soundtrack, which is called The Rebel Fleet and End Title, which is Ooh the sort of like the last scene of the film and then sort of into the end credits. Like that's how every Star Wars soundtrack concludes. It's like blank and end title. Uh Uh-huh. And this, this, and you'll get, and the end title is what's called the credit suite where Williams Mm. will sort of musically restate each new theme that he Mm. brings in. And a few times he'll get a bit lazy and they'll just sort of be the concert arrangements this sure. time he went all out into uh-huh. like a unique medley of sort of first Yoda, then the Imperial March, and then the uh, and then the Han Solo and the Princess theme. And mm. each one of them, it's like this is such like a grand triumphant statement of what this film has been. Yeah, and it's just. And it concludes with this astounding final, like, fanfare that they used in, like, the trailers for The Phantom Menace as, uh-huh. like, to, like, incredibly iconic uh, yeah. effects. It's just, it is just this, like, final triumphant declaration of, like, look at what we have achieved. Like, yes. this, look at what this has been. And it is extraordinary (laughs) yeah i mean you know everything we've talked about in this movie that is you know just saying how iconic certain Mm -hmm. characters or certain lines or moments or visual cues are i think all of that is Mm -hmm. maybe not maybe not totally eclipsed but but the music is so so vital to Mm -hmm. to this movie in particular, I mean, I mean, yeah, all, all the Star Wars movies, yeah. sure, but yeah, the score is the third person narrator of absolutely this series. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's yeah. the main character, kind of. It's it is. <laughs> yeah. It's been with. It's the only thing that's been with us through all all the films, except for three uh, PO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and 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 those of you listening, if you haven't listened yet to our John Williams episodes, if this uh, you know, inspires you, please go back and listen to those cuz um we just kind of talk more about how important Williams's scores are in films in general mm-hmm. and in Star Wars specifically. And mm-hmm. um and and that was a really fun conversation to have. Also. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, and I've been I've been fortunate enough to have a couple of really great musical experiences with this film. Mm-hmm. First off, that 
I was lucky enough to see the score performed live to film. Whoa. Yeah, at the Hollywood Bowl by oh, the, the LA Philharmonic. And that was I- incredible. And like, amazing. It, yeah, put like so much emphasis on like just how important it is again. Right, right. To the film. And it was very fortunate enough. To, to be able to do that with like a couple of my best friends from college who live out here. They came down from Thousand Oaks. We made a night of it. It was <laughs> fabulous. That amazing. And then a few years back, I went to a Star Wars celebration before The Force Awakens came out because uh-huh, it was uh-huh. like down in Anaheim. It was just a train right away. And it's like, okay, this will be, be an interesting thing. <laughs> Yeah. To do. And one of the panels I attended was a panel given by a music historian named David W. Collins. Ooh. And what he was there to talk about was the deleted music of The Empire Ooh. Strikes Back. Because if you get that two disc soundtrack score for the special edition, uh huh. There's a lot of music on it that was not used in the final film. And the panel that Collins gave was putting that music back in and examining why it was taken out. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Oh, it it absolutely was. And Collins actually has this great uh, soundtrack podcast called The Soundtrack Show, where you can hear some of this discussion. But the overall reason that the music was generally taken out was because it made scenes more like adventurous and upbeat. Mm. Like they mm-hmm. took a lot, a lot of music in the early Hoth scenes to really put the emphasis on how isolated and uh-huh. how sort of like driven to the edge the, the rebels have been. Uh-huh. And like they took out a lot of music from the Vader-Luke fight at the end mm-hmm. and only bringing it in in key sequences to sort of emphasize like how huh. overmatched Luke is and also right. because the lightsabers have their own musicality yeah. to them yeah that is like those can be the soundtrack right right no that's that's fascinating that's really really interesting mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to check out that podcast for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great listen. He's a very enthusiastic host. Great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which sometimes it could be like, okay, tone it down a little. Yeah, it's, okay. it's fine. But, we get it. We get it. <laughs> yeah, but um, he he's really able to talk so much more in depth than I am about music theory and he's done so much research onto every score that he talks about and it's really interesting listening but it's all and it it was such a great storytelling lesson to see like mm-hmm. okay this music is great but you can all but there is something that is that powerful in the silences and really sinking in the sounds of the world. It's like, cause you'd think what Williams wrote music for the empire strikes back that wasn't used. How could they not use it? And again, it's about achieving that balance. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it all comes back to, you know, all these elements being in balance and in mm-hmm. conversation with each other. And and the music um, is perfectly balanced and perfectly, you know, rounds out this world. But it mm-hmm. makes sense that, you know, there were moments where they either had to play it down or tone it up. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's that's really interesting. That's really cool to think about. Because mm-hmm. you just kind of, you know, like. As, as just a lay person watching the movie, I mean, obviously I'm like, oh my God, I love the music, but I don't, you know, necessarily think about the, the, the intricacies of every moment. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, that feels like kind of a nice note, mm-hmm. so to speak, <laughs> yeah. To, <laughs> yeah. to, to end with. But, um, but if you have anything else that you wanted to talk about, about this movie. Yeah. I mean, I guess just the one sort of concluding note that I yeah. w- would want to leave it on is that this is a film that shows like the importance of taking risks Mm-hmm. in in story and in character and in just every single aspect of this film. Yeah. They could have made so easily made just like Star Wars 2 where like the there oh the empire has another evil plot that we need to foil. Uh we're just going right. to go off on another adventure and like Vader is going to keep being the bad guy and Luke and Han and Leia are going to be together the whole time. It's just going to be the three friends, like, right. having a good time. And <laughs> But instead, they decisively pivoted away yeah. from whatever that would have been. And in doing so, they, they made Star Wars Star Wars. Absolutely. No, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think something that we probably take for granted or at least mm-hmm. those of us who you know grew up after the movies had come out and didn't experience what it was like to to see this movie mm-hmm. in theaters when it first came out but but that's a great that's a great point mhm that it's worth it to take risks sometimes yeah yeah and that and that leads me to um, because we were just talking about before we started um, how you and your team have taken some risks with Arden Podcast, um, yeah. <laughs> and I just yeah. wanted to to give a quick shout out to that and make sure that everybody, if you have not listened to Arden, you have to go listen to Arden. It was Thank so you. fun. Thank you. Absolutely, and yeah. I can't wait to hear the new season. Yeah. Yeah, no, this this season, like we are taking a lot of risks and I'm I'm I am, as I said, I'm confident in the decision we made. Mm-hmm. And like it is going to be, I think, a a darker and more complicated season. And we've really wanted to invest in all of our characters and really date dig into all of them and like and also i mean we're seeing how far we can push the the balance between drama and comedy and mystery and amazing and you know we'll 
I'm 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 confident and I stand behind just the choices we made, but we're going to have to see how it goes. Well, it sounds like season two of Arden is going to be The Empire Strikes Back. Of. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if we if we pull that off, <laughs> oh boy. I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be fabulous and I can't wait to hear it. Hopefully soon. Hopefully, hopefully soon. Um, I understand, you know, <laughs> we're in a pandemic, people. Mm-hmm. We're doing we're doing the best we can. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Christopher, thank you so much. This was so fun. Um it's thank always you ag- great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you again for having me. This was Absolutely. really wonderful. Absolutely. Um is there anything else that you want to mention or plug before we before we cheers and sign off? Uh no, I mean you can find me at uh, at Crystal eight six on Twitter. You can find Arden at uh, at Arden Pod uh, on Twitter. And you know, we had our sort of indie go go a couple of months for season two, and because it was so successful, they've let us sort of keep it open. Yeah. And you can get some pretty incredible things on there. The thing that I'm most excited for people to be able to experience is we have an original soundtrack of nine original songs written for the show to be performed in universe by... Wow. Yeah, by a very sort of longtime friend of myself and... Sarah, who's one of our other co-creators, wonderful uh, Laura Stratford, who founded this great musical theater company out in Chicago, came in and wrote like nine original songs for us. And we've had our recording day for them. I... I started crying at one point. Emily, like our other co-creators, started crying at another point. Like, I truly cannot wait for everyone to hear what Laura and uh, Libby, who's the actress who Libby Woodbridge, who's the actress who performed them, what they achieved. Oh my gosh, this sounds amazing. Send me the link to the Indiegogo and I will put that in the show notes so people can can go check that out and get access to this because it sounds incredible. Absolutely will do. <laughs> all right. Well, I can't wait to hear all of the things that you have coming out soon. But until then, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. (laughs) And with all of us. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we uh, we need it right now. (laughs) I think we need it. I think we all need it. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Scherzarko with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Scherzarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more.
Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.